Amen. So it's a great privilege once again to come and to bring the Word of God to you this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 27. So if you would look at your Bible, Pew Bible, or um, turn in your, your phone app, we're going to look at Psalm 27. And it's, it's a psalm about fear. It's a psalm about anxiety. The situation, we're not exactly sure. David often was surrounded by enemies. And he's under, it seems like, a very real threat for his life. And in the midst of that, he teaches us a great deal about fear. I think my first experience with fear was when I was about five or six years old. And it was Halloween. And I was dressed up. And my neighbor, Mr. Herb Ford, um, was going to take my cousins and myself to a neighbor. We lived in the country. And he was going to take us to a place where there was more houses so we could trick-or-treat. And so I remember being there. I was uh, seated in the van and uh, ready to go. I had my bag. And I looked out the window to the right of me, and I saw this strange character with all dressed in black with a pointy hat and wiry, long, kinky hair and a mask on. And I just slowly, slowly dove down to get out of the way. I was scared. Well, guess what? It was my mom. And she, she loved to uh, put on outfits and just she had fun with that and but I point to that as my main issue in life. I go back to that, that situation. But uh, <laughs> So I work with college students, and a lot of them, like the rest of us, have great amounts of fear. In fact, I've heard that about um, two months, basically the counseling center at University of Maryland is backed up about two months with students dealing with anxiety, depression, um, issues uh, that, that really hit all of us. And so... I think we're going to find some good help here in Psalm 27. So let me pray and then we'll look at the Lord's Word. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you that you have spoken into the darkness of our lives. You've given us your Scriptures. You've given us these Psalms that we can read and reflect upon and know that these are from you. These are your words. So we pray that you would... Bring your spirit to change our hearts, to convict us, to encourage us, to show us the Lord Jesus this morning. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Hear the Lord's word of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh my adversaries and foes. It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. 
And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my mother, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Some of you have probably seen this painting by Edward Minch called The Scream. It kind of looks like some sort of uh, terrestrial being um, on a bridge. It's an impressionist painting, and he has his hands up to his face, and he's basically screaming. Are you familiar with that, that painting? Have you seen that? It's famous. Uh, well, he was an expressionist, and many believe he captured the modern world's fearful look at the world. He said this about the painting. One evening I was walking along a path in the city. On one side, the fjord below, I felt tired and ill. I stopped and I looked out over the fjord. The sun was setting. The sky colored blood red. I sensed a scream passing through nature. Art critics have called it the Mona Lisa of our time. Minch is known to have suffered from addictions, mental illness, insanity. He said that death were the black angels that kept watch over my cradle and accompanied me all my life. Here's a person who had a lot of darkness in his life, a lot of fear, and it comes out in that painting. As I was thinking about this, I, as I work with students, I was thinking about well, what do students fear? And students are a lot like the rest of us, okay? What do they fear? Well, they fear leaving home when a freshman comes in. They fear leaving their family and friends and going to this new place. Who are these new roommates I'm with, right? Dorm life, which is kind of weird. Is it prison? Not really, but it's weird, right? Uh, you have the fear of maybe not getting good grades, um, fear of what your parents will think if you change your major midway through. Maybe you don't want to do engineering. Maybe you're an artist, right? Uh, there's all kinds of social fears, and we all have these things. Fear of relationships. Will you be single forever? Fear of being alone. Fear of rejection, right? Fear of crowds. So to all the introverts here, thank you. Thank you for being here today. Uh, fear of the future, right? We, you know, as students think about in the future, will I get a job? What am I going to do with my life? We have all kinds of political fear, right? The unraveling of our nation, uh, institutions, Brexit, all of these things. 
Fear of safety, fear of violence, fear of you know, terrorism and all of the different things. And then you come home and the issues of health, right? Health fear and, um, and a terminal illness or a disability. Um, it, it shows us just how small we are in this big world. Um, this is a very real thing that the Bible addresses constantly. What do you do with your fear? Where does it come from in the first place? Well, if you look at the Bible in the first place, it really, it's way back there in Genesis chapter 3, right? Fear is first mentioned in Genesis 3. Immediately after Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord, uh, what happened? Well, uh, the Lord comes looking for them in the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of taking of the fruit. And they run and hide and... Adam responds to the Lord. He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. It's the first mention of fear after sin, after brokenness. Because I was naked, I was exposed, and I hid myself. And the Lord said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you to eat? Fear, ultimately, in the big picture of the Bible, comes because of our separation because of our brokenness with God, that we have gone against Him, that we have rebelled, and now we have the judgment of God upon us. We are afraid of Him and His holiness because we are no longer holy. This is really the start and the beginning of all of our fears. So ultimately, why do we fear? We fear death, we fear judgment, we fear punishment because we are separated and sinners. But the Gospel, obviously, is the antidote for that fear. And we're going to get to that as we look at this passage. And so as we think of, of David in the midst of fear, fear of his enemies, fear of being rejected by family, fear of violence, we see him fighting against fear. And this is really important for us. What do we do with our fear? Do we allow our fear to just spiral us into anxiety and more worry and more fear and more paranoia? Or do we fight against our fear with the Lord and His promises? And David is showing us in here that he is fighting, right? It's, it's fight or flight when it comes to fear. Are we just going to run away from it or are we going to fight it? And so church, what David is telling us here is he's fighting it. And he's showing us how with these three things, a bold confession, a worship commitment, and a cry, an honest cry of the heart. And so the first thing here is, he, he shows us how to fight against our fears with a bold confession of faith. Look at the beginning of this, verses 1 and 2. It's almost as if someone says, David, what do you believe? He says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then you go down to the end, or verse 13, right before the end, and it's as if somebody's saying, David, well, what do you believe? And he says this, well, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so church, what do you believe in the midst of your fears? You see, David is preaching the truth of the gospel to his heart. 
uh, he's reminding his heart in the midst of fear that there is someone in control. There's someone who knows him. There's someone who is ultimate and powerful. And he is preaching ultimate reality into his fearful heart. And you think about David and his life, right? His life is full of fear. (laughs) If you read through Samuel, right? Much of his life is dealing with being on the run. Um, Even in the beginning, when he's a young boy and he goes to the front line and there's Goliath and there's Israel, Israel's army cowering in fear. And we see this incredible faith, the Lord giving him his spirit and he stands against uh, Goliath. And then we see him later on, he becomes Saul's right-hand man, but then Saul's trying to kill him. Um, and he's jealous of him. And yet, time and time again, we see God deliver him. We see Absalom, his son, chasing him out. He's on the run, right? Much of his life is on the run. Much of his life has these enemies and he's fearing. But God continues to deliver him. And so he says this confession, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And so thinking about that, he says this, he's thinking about God's character. In the midst of his fear, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. God is light. Right? John tells us God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. We see this issue of light reflecting God's glory all through the Scriptures. The, 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 the burning fire leading Israel through the wilderness. Light brings clarity. He is our light and our path. He will not leave us in darkness. And then he says, He is my salvation. And again, through all of these battles, through all of these deliverances, very experientially, David saw the Lord's hand, the Lord saving him out of these battles. And so he claims these promises, and he claims who God is in the midst of his fear. And he says, it is the Lord. And that's important because we know that that capital L-O-R-D is the Hebrew for Yahweh, and it's used about 13 times in this psalm. And that's important because David is not just crying out to any Lord, any God out there. He is crying out to the covenant Lord who is called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The covenant Lord who's actually made a promise and covenant to him that he is going to be a king and that on his throne there's going to be someone who will be a king forever. David knows the covenant Lord and he's experienced the covenant Lord's salvation time and time again. And so he is calling out to him. He is getting his eyes off of his situation and on to the Lord and remembering God's promise. So the question is, where are you going with your fear? It's fight or flight. Are you fighting? Are you taking your heart by the hand by, by, you know, and, and saying, no, the Lord is in control. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This is not self-talk. This is not pumping yourself up or just coaching yourself up. David is focused on the Lord who has been real in his life. This would be a great verse to remember as you are thinking about fear. Kids, as you're going to bed at night, maybe you're afraid of the dark, right? Think of this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This is how we apply God's Word to us. Secondly, we see a a worship commitment. How do we deal with fear? We get committed to worship, to seeking the Lord. And so, as He is there in this situation, 
he has a desire. He has a desire to worship the Lord. And verse 4 says this, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple. And so, here he is, Thinking in the midst of his enemies, in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his anxieties, he's thinking about one thing, one place that he would like to be. He would like to experience the Lord's presence. He would like to see the beauty of the Lord. Because the beauty of the Lord is what will captivate his heart and captivate him so that his fears become put down. You know, as you think about this, you know, whenever a person is fearful or anxious or maybe a person is injured, you know, and uh, we had the intramural team the other week had a person actually who broke his leg. Uh, and his friends all gathered around him. And they talked to him and they were holding his leg, which was broken. And he was very calm in the midst of that. And I think the reason is because he was surrounded by friends. They were taking his mind off of the situation. And to some extent, that's what the gospel does. And that's what David is thinking about. He is getting his mind off himself and off whatever's going around. He's thinking about the Lord. Now, he says he desires to be, see the beauty of the Lord in his temple. What is the beauty that he is viewing? Well, at this point, it is just the tabernacle, right? There's no elaborate uh, temple that Solomon would later build. So, what he, what he is viewing, ultimately, is the sacrifice. He is seeing that his sin has been dealt with. His fear, his ultimate fear of God's judgment for his sin, has been dealt with in the beauty of the sacrifice, of blood being shed for him. And he has the forgiveness of the Lord. You know, maybe he is being overwhelmed as well with his brokenness. Maybe the sin of, of, with, with Bathsheba and Uriah and the murder. All of these things. This broken man, this sinful man, and thinking about God's judgment. Well, what he loves is the forgiveness of God in the temple, in the sacrifice. And so this is what he desires. It's here at the temple. It's here in the tabernacle that he's reminded of God's love for him. That calms and quiets his fear. Just like a mother would calm and quiet her baby who is crying at night. Where is this fear cast out? Well, it's, it's cast out in the beauty of the Gospel. The beauty of what the Lord has done for us. As we think about this in the future, this is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ pointing forward. That we see that our sin, our being separated from God, being under God's wrath, our fear of judgment, our fear of death, those things can be cast off because we know that one has gone before us and died and taken God's wrath for us. We no longer have to fear because Jesus went to the cross, because Jesus is that ultimate once and for all sacrifice that David was looking to to point forward. We know that He has come. We look on the other side. And so, as you go through the psalm, what happens when He is focusing on the temple and the beauty of it is He gains confidence. Look at verse 6. 
He says that now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. You see, when he sees the sacrifice and he sees the beauty of the Lord and the fact that I am good, and no matter what they do to my body, I know that, that I, am, I am clean and holy before the Lord because of his blood. He gains confidence. And, and it changes him so much that he desires to worship the Lord. In verse 6, he says, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. He wants to engage in the ministry of worship because he's experienced it. And he knows that this is the, this is the ultimate goal for Christians is to worship God and to glorify God in all of life. And so he says, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Fear is blown away in the presence of God in worship. You know, this is, this is why worship is so important for us. Especially corporate worship here, right? Because we're gathered with God's people and we're encouraged and we're in the fellowship and we're singing these songs, these hymns that remind us of the gospel and we're praying these prayers and we're reading the scriptures and we're getting our minds um, on the Lord in the midst of our issues, in the midst of our situations and we're seeing how God um, reforms us and transforms us and reorients our hearts in worship. And that's exactly what my friend Kevin was saying about hymns and the songs we sing are so important because they transform our hearts. They renew us day in and day out. And so what's a good way to uh, cast off fear? Well, start singing one of these hymns, right? Start singing to the Lord and remembering the, the gospel promises as you sing these songs. To him. This frees us from fear. Bold, robust worship. Seeing the beauty of God. Being committed to worship. It frees us from our despondency, our doubts, our fears. Hearing stories of redemption. It frees us. It reorients our hearts. And so, what are you doing with your fears? Are you just sitting home? Or are you worshiping the Lord. One of the, thing, one of the movies I love, my students know this is Castaway. I think all Tom Hanks movies. All Tom Hanks movies I love. Uh, but in Castaway, I think if you've seen that, it's probably 15 or more years old now. But you have Tom Hanks, he's a FedEx uh, worker and his plane goes down the Pacific. He's on this island. You know, it's He's, he's on this deserted island, right? It's just him with Wilson, his, his volleyball. And uh, he's trying to survive, and he's trying to make fire and, and hunt for fish. And as the movie goes on, he gets more and more depressed. And you kind of find out at one point he tried to commit suicide, but he failed uh, in his attempt. Um, and you might ask, well, what? It seems like there was something driving, driving him on, though, throughout that movie. I hope I'm not spoiling it. It's too old, okay? So there's a, there's a thing he keeps looking at. There's a locket of his fiance. It's Helen Hunt in the movie. He keeps looking at this locket. And there's one scene where he had a toothache and he's in the cave and, and you know, he, he actually had to knock the to tooth out with a rock and, and uh, I think he, he's unconscious. But he's always looking at this picture of her. 
Why? Because that's what drove him. It was the fact that he knew her love for him is what drove him to try to get back, to get out of there. And so he builds this elaborate, uh, you know, winds all these vines together and builds this raft and somehow gets back. I'm not going to tell you the ending because that's sad. But the point being is, is that what drives us, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what Jesus has done, his love for us is what drives out fear. Have you experienced that? Do you know that? The last part of this is an honest cry of the soul. So we've had uh, a bold confession, a worship commitment, and now a cry of the soul, or an honest cry. And so verses 7 and 12 are different. Uh, they kind of transition into this prayer that David has. And what I love about it and, and what I love about the Psalms in general is they're, they are very honest. Uh, they're not pretending, but they're very honest, saying, here's the situation. Lord, I'm crying out to you. And so he's using his fears and anxieties and issues to cast him to the Lord as a flag, so to speak, to go to the Lord with. And so in verse 7, he says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. He feels abandoned. He's going to the Lord. Verse 9, hide not your face from me. Turn not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. So he has confidence that God is his salvation, but he's feeling that God has abandoned him. He's feeling like a castaway, so to speak, from the Lord. He's feeling rejection from his parents, from his family, from my father and my mother have forsaken me. And then he says confidently, but the Lord will take me in. Verse 12, he has these enemies and false witnesses. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. So we have honest struggle and going to the Lord with that. And this is important because I feel like a lot of times we can think that, the Christ, that we have to put on a front or the Christian faith is about pretending. And that's not how it's supposed to be. The Christian faith is honesty before the Lord and being honest about your doubts and issues and anxieties. If you're, if you're not honest about them, you're, they're going to come up at some point when you hit trials and when you hit issues. And so David is showing us how to deal with our pain and anxiety. We take them to the Lord. We cry out to the Lord. He seems like he's absent, but we continue to cry out to him and we remember that he is there. So a relationship with God is not stuffing your emotions at the door, but it's really crying out to the Lord in honesty. It's not pretending like you're someone that you're not. When you have your quiet time or when you have your devotion with the Lord, be honest. Where are you? <laughs> be honest with your heart. That's what the Psalms are doing. They're showing us how to have that true relationship. And, and it says here at the end, it says that David is waiting for the Lord. He says, verse 14, David is waiting. He says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. And so in the midst of the crying out, we have a confidence of David. We have the fact that he says, the Lord will take me in. 
He has a confidence. And so we might say, well, where, where does that come from? And I think this is where we, we run to Jesus with this psalm. Because there was another son of David who was abandoned by his family. In fact, if you look at Mark, you see that the Lord Jesus, his family thought he was crazy. And they came to take him in and said, hey, we, your family's outside. <laughs> they, you know, he, he felt abandoned by his family, didn't he? We have someone who was rejected by his, not only his earthly father, but his heavenly father. The, the Lord Jesus, the greater David, he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the father turns his face away like the song, like the song we sing. The father t- rejects him. Why? He rejects the Lord Jesus in his cry so that we would never be rejected. The Lord Jesus is the one, the greater David who comes and he cries out and he cries out and the father turns his face away and pours out his anger and his justice on him on the cross for us so that we would never have the feeling of being cast away. We'd never have the feeling of being utterly forgotten and rejected. The Lord Jesus was that for you so that we would never be. That we would know His love. And so if you experience that, that kind of love that God will never leave you or forsake you, I want to close with this hymn. We sing, O love that will not let me go. It's a, it's a hymn by George Matheson. Maybe you've heard this story, but um, the first verse says, O O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in Thee. I give Thee back the life I owe that in Thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. The story behind this this hymn by George Matheson is this. When he was age 20, uh, he was engaged to be married. And he was also going blind. And when he broke the news to his fiancée, she decided she could not go through life with a blind husband. And so she left him. But before losing his sight, he was a genius, actually. He had written two books on theology, and some feel that he might have been the greatest uh, Scottish minister of the day. A special providence was, though, that George's sister offered to care for him. And with her help, George left the world of academia. He was in seminary and academic circles writing. And he ended up preaching at a church. And 1,500 people a week came to hear this man preach the gospel. But in 1882, when his sister, this is about 40 years um, after, so he's about 60 at this point, his sister fell in love and she was preparing for marriage herself. And so the evening before the wedding, George's whole family had left to get ready for the next day's events and celebrations. And so he was alone. And he was facing the prospect of, again, living his life uh, without the one person who really cared and thought and, and helped him. And on top of this, he was probably thinking about his own possible wedding that was aborted some 20 or 40 years later. It's not hard to imagine the grief, the fear, the anxiety that was over him. And in the darkness of that moment, he wrote this hymn. 
And he wrote it in about five minutes, he said, and it was the only hymn that he never had to edit. And the last stanza goes like this. O cross that lifteth up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in life, in dust, life's glory, dead. And from the ground there blossoms red, life that shall never end. The fear of being alone, washed away in God's love, knowing the Savior cares for him, knowing that God will never let him go. This is the kind of hope that we can have in the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the goodness of your word, of David's prayer that helps us even today to know you and to understand how we can be honest and go to you with our fears and anxieties and the issues in our life. And so help us, Lord, help us to remember your promises in the midst of our fears. Lord, help us to engage in worship, to center us. Lord, help us to ultimately remember Jesus, the one who was ultimately cast out, rejected, so that we would never be. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.